Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is a deeper dive where I'm interviewing Tony Hughes, the author of Combo Prospecting, the powerful one-two punch that fills your pipeline. Tony is an experienced sales consultant with 30 years of experience, and he's also the number one LinkedIn blogger. Hi, Tony. Hey, Pat. I'm so excited uh, having the conversation today. Thanks for having me on. Well, this is, I love your book. And as I mentioned, I read all the sales books out there, and I think yours is the best in modern selling, which I think is a compliment to you for sure. But before we kind of jump into the content of the book and you're sharing your thoughts, you had some interesting stories in the beginning talking about how you got into sales. So if you can share where people were betting against you that you wouldn't work out. Yeah, Pat, it was interesting. Uh, When I was 25, I sold a company that I built in Australia and I went and lived in the USA for a few years. And uh, one of the big lessons I learned in the States was that (laughs) if you can't personally sell, then you're nowhere as an entrepreneur or as a business person. So when I came back to Australia, we were getting royalties on the business that we'd sold for 12 years. And part of that was a non-compete. So I needed to go do something different. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I needed to go and learn how to sell. So I got a job in the telecommunications industry, my first ever sales role, and people at the company actually bet on the fact that I would fail. (laughs) They thought, who who in the world is this guy that's got no sales experience? But I had an absolutely fantastic sales manager who used to do a basically a ride-along with me one day a week. We'd be out in the field together. And he was really good at not rescuing me. He would let me fail. We'd do a debrief. And I went from being pretty bad at selling to becoming the number one person in the company within five months and then the number one person in the industry to set records that had never been broken. And it was really largely due to the fact that I had a great manager who mentored and coached me. And uh, I fell in love with selling. I, you know, I believe that selling is about making a positive difference in the lives of others, both personally and professionally. It's not about manipulating people. It's not about closing them. It's about helping them. And now uh, we, you know, selling is first and foremost the transference of belief. Really important. Well, let's talk about the heart of what your book is saying, which I think is very powerful, especially in today's world where social media is kind of considered like, well, that's how you're supposed to sell. You're really telling a a better approach is this, this combination prospecting side of it. So why don't you describe what that is from your viewpoint? Pat, so the big problem in the world is that uh, most sellers do just enough each day to not feel guilty as opposed to doing what it actually takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, with the rise of social media and digital channels, a lot of people have made the mistake of becoming too passive in the way that they sell. They confuse social marketing and branding. They confuse that with prospecting and selling. And at the end of the day, we need to find a way to break into the world of busy people. So there's a few things that are critically important. The the first is we need to have absolute clarity about our ideal customer profile. Not everybody out there is a prospect for us. Many sellers are good enough to generate interest, but not good enough to actually conclude Mm -hmm. business with people. 
So what happens is, you know, they get lots of interest and it chews up lots of time, time and resources, but it doesn't translate into, into mutual success for them and the customer. So we need clarity about our ideal customer profile, who really, you know, what really defines someone being an ideal fit for us. So that increases our success rates dramatically. And then based on that, if we're selling business to business, we need to understand the buyer personas with whom we engage and how they're measured in their role and what's important to them. And on the back of those two things of having clarity about product market fit with our ideal customer profile, and then understanding the people with whom we're engaging, what they really care about, what they're trying to achieve, we then need to build a what I call a value narrative, a, a, a conversation narrative about how that person can drive improved results in their role. Because if we don't nail our message, we can just be seen as another annoying spammer. The problem for the people that we're trying to get to today is they're all they're all just being bombarded with with outreach, and a lot of it's really poor. So once we we nail our narrative, we create the right conversation narrative, and I'll maybe provide an example of that in a moment. But then we need to pattern interrupt the way that busy people just ignore strangers or people they think are selling to them, and that was the concept of combo prospecting. It's concurrent combinations of outreach across multiple channels to actually break into the world of people and and to do it in in a way that where we're relevant to them and they actually respect it. Well, I think that's really a powerful statement because I agree with you 100% that so often what I see, and I'm down in the trenches with sales forces in the U.S., and I I do agree that they, they, in other words, don't really even understand today's market and what that customer, what their customer is trying to sell to is doing, and they're busy all day. And if you don't have pattern interruption, you're not going to get the awareness component, which leads me to the other side, Tony, where you were talking about, and I thought this was really a powerful statement that you say that sellers need to become anti-fragile. There's too many happy ears as far as selling is concerned. What do you mean by all that? And what is your experience with it? So if you're selling financial services, which obviously, you know, this, mm-hmm. this audience is especially around, around mortgaging and finance, often in selling, we, we, we tend to listen for what we want to hear. And just because someone is willing to have a conversation it doesn't mean that they're an ideal fit for us and they're going to eventually buy. So, so a real no, valid no, early in the conversation is actually a wonderful thing. It stops us wasting our time and resources. It stops us living in false hope. And it enables us to go and apply our precious time and resources you know, where it's going to have the most effect. So, so rather than happy years... <laughs> Hey, hey, they're, they're interested or it was a positive conversation. Sure. Um, the thing we're really trying to do is to is to run uh, a nuanced, blended qualification discovery process around the fact that we we are the best value and lowest risk for them, and this absolutely makes sense. And the other person can see in their own mind why it makes sense to change or to actually go with us. Because we're always battling status quo. It's easy to have a conversation and people just stay with a current provider. Right. So we, we need them to have clarity about why would they change. 
Right. Well, you raised a good point, I think, throughout your book. You're talking about that the actual salesperson has the responsibility to, in other words, have this formula for success, which you describe as intelligent targeting, the right value narrative, and the discipline side of it. You make the point that that is the salesperson's responsibility. Certainly, the company is part of that. But what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, every seller needs to reverse engineer their own metrics to take the stress and the risk out of their own success. So most people are certainly busy, and it's very easy for us to focus on what we regard as urgent. But but the way human human nature is 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 we as people are kind of wired to to avoid rejection, to avoid difficult conversations, mm-hmm. and the reality is we need to really embrace those things. So. For everybody listening to this, I just really encourage you to make sure you understand your own numbers and reverse engineer your metrics. So if, for example, you think, okay, I need to personally generate X dollars of revenue or or X dollars worth of loans uh, or X dollars worth of fees that I'm generating, however you, you, you measure that revenue number, you then think, okay, what's my average transaction size? And then What's my close rate? So for every every proposal that I put in front of people, what's my win weight ratio? And then you think, okay, so to hit this revenue number, I'll need to put in X, X numbers of, of, of proposals in front of people. To be able to do that, I'll need to have, you know, X or Y number of, of, of discovery meetings with the people really making the decision, you know, and if we could be selling in the B2C world, you know, maybe that is the husband and the wife or the or the two people in a couple together, you know, rather than just one. If you're not meeting with both, that potentially introduces risks. You think, okay, so how many of those meetings with all decision makers do I need to have? And then you keep going backwards to, well, you know, how many phone calls do I need to be making or referrals do I need to be generating? And the reality is, is once you understand the metrics, you can then time block your activity windows to de-risk your own success. The thing I found is that stress in life comes from, not being in control. Stress does not come necessarily from the size of the goal or the amount of work. It just comes from, you know, not really understanding what it is that we need to do. So if you reverse engineer your metrics and then you time block the activity, you can then get focused on, well, how do I execute that, you know, that activity well? And for everybody listening to this, uh, referrals and trigger events are like a superpower in selling. So mm-hmm. if you then work out how do I harness the power of technology, and that's what my latest book is about, tech-powered sales. It takes the principles in combo prospecting and looks at how do you use technology to get tech to start to work for you to increase your effectiveness. Yeah, that's that's a great point that you're making. But you you make a big emphasis about using, from a scaling standpoint, the phone. And I think that is so interesting because a lot of times the phone is looked like, well, cold calls don't work, and all of that that you hear from people that really isn't correct. Talk about why the phone is one of the best tools for a salesperson. Well, we're really wanting to create a conversation and drive engagement and digital outreach, e- emails, LinkedIn emails posting content, you know, some of these, some of these attraction strategies, which are valid, but, but they're not the equivalent to driving outbound. The reality is, is we need to find a way to create a conversation. And most sellers have just stopped using the phone. They've, they've just gone passive and people are drowning in emails that that actually hit their inbox. They're being spammed inside platforms like LinkedIn. 
So picking up the phone is just incredibly powerful. And there's sales intelligence tools out there that enable you to source people's cell phone numbers. So it's just incredibly important to get back on the phone. And, uh, and if you make sure that when you, when, you, uh, when you make a phone call that it's contextualized, and the, the strongest way to do this is with a referral. So anytime any of our, our clients express happiness or gratitude with what we've been able to do for them, we should treat that as a trigger event to ask for a referral. And we don't use the R word because if you say, hey, would you mind giving me some referrals? The thing they hear in their own mind is, oh, you're going to phone my friends and try and sell to them and my friends will be upset with that. Yeah. But don't ask for a referral. Just say, hey, who, who, who else do you know that's looking at buying a home or is, is looking at uh, refinancing their business you know, or has been struggling financially lately that, that, that maybe wants to consolidate things, I'd, you know, be really happy to, to help them in the same way that I've been able to help you. Mm -hmm. um, so you just want to really soften back the request for the referral, but we see in life what we're looking for. And the thing we need to realize is anytime a customer expresses happiness, that's the trigger for asking, hey, who else, who else in your own network, you know, do, do, you, do you think is struggling with things right now that I could potentially help? No, that's really a great point. And certainly, Tony, you make the, the big, uh, I think, issue about it's the phone that is essentially also tied together with other pattern interrupters. And I thought that that would be an important concept that you're really trying to convey. Talk about that from your viewpoint. Yeah, so what we want to do is we, we want the person's cell phone to ring and the cell phone will typically ring and they'll have a look at their phone maybe they're traveling at the time that it calls and they've got people around them and they don't want to take the call or maybe they look at it and think, well, you're not in my address book inside my phone, so I don't know who you are. I'll just let that go through the voicemail. Uh, but that's all okay. So you gain their attention. They had a look at the phone. Uh, they let it go to voicemail. Next thing, their phone goes ding and they go, ah, they left the voicemail. I wonder who that was. <laughs> so then they'll play the voicemail. And then in the voicemail, you don't give your whole pitch. You just say, hey, hey, Pat, it's Tony Hughes. I'm just looking to get a couple of minutes with you next week. I'll send you an email. And they think, oh, I wonder what that was about. And then their phone goes ding, and there's an email in their inbox. And what we've done with that little basic triple, right? So there's three touches within 90 seconds, and that's in of itself a pattern interrupt. What's happened is their phone's gone ring, ding, and ding. <laughs> So they've now had a look at the email. You've dramatically upped the open rate and the read rate of the email that you've sent through. And then if you nail the narrative, if you nail the message in that email where it's only three sentences rather than seven paragraphs, it's about them, you know, rather than us. So if it's, hey, hey Pat, I noticed or congratulations on, Mary suggested we speak, you know, how's, how's your calendar next week? You know, you just make it about them rather than a pitch. That's how you drive engagement. And then what you do maybe 72 hours later is you phone again and you say, hey, hey, Pat, I'm just following up. I'm wondering how Tuesday 10.15 would work for you. I'll send you a calendar invitation with a Zoom meeting link. If there's a better time, please let me know. And, and then you, 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 hang, you hang up. So you've rung, you've left a voicemail. You mm -hmm. then bump the email back to the person. So you hit reply all to that previous email. You change the header to say Thursday, 10, 15, question mark. You know, hey, hey, Pat, just following up, wondering how Thursday, 10, 15 works. I'll send you a calendar invitation. You send that, you send a calendar invite. So what you've done is in three days, you've actually done seven touches within two combos. So you've done two little pattern interrupt combos 
And what we know is that it takes on average seven to 13 touches for someone to respond to a seller that they've never met with previously, depending on whose research we look at, seven to 13 touches. Mm -hmm. And you've just done your touches within 72 hours, but you combined them into little little condensed pattern interrupts. And what you do is you dramatically drive up engagement. So how do you see the world of video, like, in other words, the video calls component? You see that as equivalent today, even though COVID obviously had made it an issue that, that individuals couldn't go into office buildings. But now this whole issue of video calls has definitely risen up. How do you see that playing into it? Yeah, we, we need to use all of the channels available to us until we find the channel that works best for that person that we're seeking to have a conversation with. And, uh, you know, obviously you can run a video meeting, you know, in something like Teams or Zoom uh, or mm -hmm. any of those other platforms, but you could also record a video message or a video mail. People that aren't aware of this in the mobile app for LinkedIn, for the mobile app in LinkedIn, not, not the desktop web app, but the mobile app on your phone, you can actually record a really short video message and send it to someone as a video mail in the in-mail system within LinkedIn. Many people are just so self-conscious, you know, none of us like hearing ourselves in a recording <laughs> or seeing ourselves on a video. Yeah. But in a, in a modern digital-first world, because we now live in a digital-first world in this fourth industrial revolution that we're in, and COVID was a catalyst for driving digital-first engagement. We need to get good at using the technologies and tools that are available to us. And, and that in of itself is something that stands out. So you can you can build some, some positive emotional connection if they're seeing your wonderful face and seeing you on camera. Again, the trick is to be brief and relevant to them. We, we need to be relevant to them to show them that we've done some research, that we have a point of view on, on how they can improve things in their own life. That's a great point for sure. You, you are correct. I see it all the time with my clients where certainly not all of them, but many of them don't want to be on camera. <laughs> so it's just part of, of today's selling world for sure. You said, and I thought this was such an inspirational thought, that do one thing that scares you before lunch. What you're thinking behind that? Well, if, if you as a professional are really across your numbers and you've reverse engineered the metrics, those input activities that de-risk your success. And then if you make the commitment in your own life to stop doing just enough to not feel guilty and instead do what it actually takes to be successful and then put those things at the front end of the day, that's where you can look yourself in the mirror and, and know that you deserve the success that you seek in your life. And most people run outreach at a time of day and a day of week that's convenient for them. We instead need to run outreach to people at a time of day and a day of week that we know works for that market. So for example, if we're looking at engaging senior, busy, successful people, uh, what we know is if you just run outreach in office hours, they're often busy and buried in meetings. So it's the shoulders of the day, which is typically the most effective time. So what, what I say to, to, to professionals that are seeking to grow their book of business, to drive revenue, to help people be successful, is they typically need to do that at the beginning of the day. So you don't finish work, for example, on a Tuesday until you've got your list mm -hmm. with contact phone numbers and all of that pragmatic research done. You don't leave work until you've got that list completed. And then you begin the next day with driving outbound. 
And if you can go and, and have your, your morning coffee or your conversation with people, knowing you've already done what most people don't get done in a week and you did it before most people start, uh, that, that will in of itself absolutely set you apart within your industry. And that will set you apart anywhere in the world because it's true. It's a truism for sure. I liked also the fact that you said there's no magic words, uh, but just repetition. Talk about that one. Well, any, anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly uh, um, until we get good at it. Um, we need to absolutely be the authentic self whenever we engage. Um, but the reality is there's words and phrases and approaches that will find work really well. So, for example, in my own life, you know, I found that there were three magic questions uh, when seeking to reframe an inbound conversation. So if someone had expressed interest in our company, you know, to buy from us, there were three questions that I found just completely transformed conversations. And I've used them to great effect my whole sales career and others have had amazing results. And, and those three questions are, hey, hey, um, Pat, th thanks so much for the inquiry. Hey, do, do, do you mind if I ask, what, what's actually happened in, in your world that's caused you to want to have a look at this, right? So you're wanting to get to the trigger event, the, the, the root cause, what's actually gone on. And then, and then the second question, you know, I'll often ask, and again, if you're doing mortgage broking or financial services, a lot of my world is in is in technology. So you need to maybe adjust mm -hmm. this question for the world. But then the follow-up question is, hey, if you were to change, what what are the improved results you're looking for? Right. So what's happened to cause you to want to have a look at this? And if you were to change, what are the improved results that you're looking for? And then the third question is, hey, where do where do you see the risks of getting this all all done successfully? And this all becomes our opportunity to really start to provide some insights, to really mm -hmm. start to reframe it. Because I go, well, well, what risks? Oh, well, look, if, if, if you're looking at consolidating your debt, you know, moving to a new provider, there's a couple of things you really need to be thinking about, you know, so, so that in, you know, three to five years' time, you're not having to go through the process again. Now, I'm just giving that as an example, sure. right? But all of mm -hmm. a sudden, you become the emotional favorite for them because you're the one that got them thinking about the real issues, the real opportunity, the real risks that they should be that they should be considering. Because at the end of the day, what what busy, successful people want, and I, you know, in an ideal world, that forms part of our ideal customer profile. We're looking for for people right. that aren't going aren't going to default. We're looking for people that don't want cheap. Right? We, we want to find people that are looking for best value for money and lowest risk and in a way that they can do it, all of this and it gives them their time back. Right? Right. So what you'll typically find is they, is they value the services of, of a professional if that's the case. So we want to qualify prospects based on the level of engagement. To what degree are they sharing in essence, insider information from their world with us and also giving us access to others. If we're selling business to business, you know, or even if we're selling to a couple in a business to consumer or, or sort of customer world, if they're not giving us access to the other person that'll form consensus for the decision, because, you know, even if people say, no, look, I'm making the decision, we, what we know in, in, in the world is that consensus is actually a really important thing in people's personal lives and also in, in the world of business. So if they won't give us access to others that form consensus for the decision, if they won't give us any insider information, 
if they're just treating us like a commodity, then in my mind, they don't qualify well as a prospect. That's really a good point. You also made the comment about you're selling today, but you're really selling the future. Talk about that. Yeah, if, if everybody wants best value for money and they want to manage their risk. And, and people know that the, even if they can't verbalize it, they know that the biggest risks in life come from not knowing what it is that you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they may be thinking, hey, I want a better rate, right? I want to refinance, I want a better rate, I want to consolidate debt. But there's a whole lot of things, you know, they're, they're not on the inside of the industry that does all of this. There's a lot of things that they're probably not aware of. So what you want is you want them thinking, I've got a level of trust with this person. We know that trust is incredibly important. Nothing will happen without trust. But trust is also an X factor because the degree of trust that we can build will determine how much information they'll share, how quickly they'll move, how much access you know, that they'll give to other people in their world that, that help them decide this. And it'll also determine the size of the commitment. And trust all is formed based on intent. If they can show that we've got the right, if they can see that we've got the right intent, that we're all about whether we are the best fit for them or not, you know, the best value and the lowest risk, both now and into the future. That's why people would typically make 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 the decision to go with us. So our job as a seller is to try and get them to create the right comparisons in their mind. They might be wanting to treat us as a commodity, you know, what's your rate, what's your fee? But what we're wanting them to, to think about is how do they best manage their long-term risks? So reframing thinking, getting them to make the right comparisons rather than just lazily treat us as a commodity with the obvious things is what we need to do. And we don't want to appear to be difficult to to work with. We want to be seen as having the right intent. We're all about them and them getting the best result. And we have some genuine insights that they value. And that's how we get people to lean into the relationship. And then we become the emotional favorite. So, Tony, you have been a sales consultant for now over 30 years and obviously we're a salesperson yourself. Talk about, and again, from the standpoint, I think there's a concept that many managers and companies have is that anybody can sell. And a lot of the source of the problem of ineffective selling, it, it ends up being that we really aren't recognizing how complex selling is because of all these things that you've mentioned. And I know that you also are connected with the University of Sydney and in their MBA program. Do you think sales is now going to be recognized as really a true analytical type of profession, not something while anybody can be a salesperson? Well, the reality is, is, is we all sell. Anytime mm-hmm. anyone is seeking to influence another person, it's selling. So, so politics is selling, business is selling, mm-hmm. convincing your children to to stop playing video games and come to the dinner table is selling. So we're all selling and negotiating in our life. It's really a life skill. It's both art and science. There are increasingly universities Mm -hmm. creating uh, degree recognized qualifications in selling, but it's, it's rare. Most universities just focus on marketing Sure. And selling is kind of a byline within a marketing program. But but here's the reality. To, to, to be able to sell well, we need to recognize that we need the belief in a, of an evangelist. You, you need to recognize the first thing I'm doing here is I'm transferring my belief in the value of what I offer to another person. So you need to be a true believer and be values driven in how you sell. 
you also need to, in essence, be a psychologist. You know, you need to understand that 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 people are driven, in essence, by fear and greed. You know, there's there's pain and risk uh, that they want to avoid in their life, and and there's there's other things that are driving them more positively that they want to achieve. So we need to understand the psychology of selling. People don't want to pitch. They don't want to. They they don't want to be manipulated. So this whole thing of conveying the right intent is really important. We, we need to understand politics. We we need political acumen. We need strong strong emotional intelligence to to be able to read other people. We need to be you know often an engineer because we we need to work a process with people. We need a good methodical process, not just for how we engineer our own success, but for how we work with other people. Uh, we need to be able to negotiate. So there's there's all kinds of skills that 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 are brought to the fore to be able to successfully sell, and that's art and science. But the reality is, you need to be a results driven person. You need to have a driver personality to to deal with the the rejection and the ambiguity uh, of, of what's involved in the profession. So so being a results driven person who believes in the value of what you offer. And then you intelligently engineer your own sales process uh, and convey really good intent are, are probably really the key things. And so when you look at, I guess we only have a few more minutes left, and this has been terrific. What would be some of the takeaways that you would want our listeners as far as modern selling and prospecting is concerned? Recognize that the superpower in sales success comes from referrals and trigger events. Right. So think about. All of your existing customers, uh, anytime they express a level of happiness or gratitude for what you've been able to do for them, that's that's a time to ask for a referral because a referral begins a conversation with a new person with a level of trust. The next thing in this superpower of selling is context. So if you can begin with trust and context, you'll have high success rates and trigger events contextualize a conversation. And an example of a trigger event you know, might be that 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 someone has a child. You know, there's a there's a baby born, or they get married, or something happens in 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 the marketplace that creates awareness of need to change or the opportunity to maybe buy buy a property. Maybe it's a trigger event of, of their business is successful, mergers and acquisitions. So think about what are the events that happen in the world of my potential customers that creates relevance and context for why they would be talking with me. Um, so it's really important we harness the power of referrals and trigger events, and then that we nail our narrative. We create a conversation narrative that rather than it being all about us and the services that we offer, it's all about the fact that we can show them that we know them, we've done a degree of research about them, and we think there's an opportunity for them to drive some improvements in some areas that are important to them. And that'll cause them to lean into the conversation. People don't want another seller in their life. That they're not lonely and bored looking for another, you know, friend from sales land. They don't want to pitch. People are resistant to change. Right? Change is work and risk in their own mind. So before before any of those things, they need to to understand in their own mind why this matters. What's my opportunity to drive an improved result? And is is that reason strong enough? to warrant investing time and effort in change. 
Well, Tony, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. It certainly is, I think, really words for everyone from a sales standpoint that they need to listen to for sure. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks so much, Tony. Thanks, Pat. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.